0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Welcome along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, and on this edition, we're going to be discussing the latest Arsenal transfer news. I'll also be sharing with you guys my opinion on the Mikhailo Mudrik saga, which appears to be going on and on and on, twists and turns every day. uh, Just when you think you might have got the deal wrapped up and you might have convinced Shakhtar to part ways with their star man, you begin to hear once again that they don't feel that Arsenal's offer the second time around is, is sufficient. And that there are other clubs now potentially uh, entering into the mix. Mikhailo Mudrik, by all accounts, wants Arsenal. But that's not the problem right now. The problem is between Arsenal and Shakhtar Donetsk. And we'll get into all of that, of course, uh, on this edition of the show. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. Please do subscribe to the channel if you're new, and just a quick heads up uh, for our members over on the Another Slice platform. Remember, we are moving our memberships over to Another Slice. There is a brand new bit of content out there uh, for you guys right now. It dropped this morning, so it's the second one in three days, and we're going to be upping the volume uh, of content. This was a, a piece on the reporting around Mikel Arteta's conduct and how I believe it to be unfair And inconsistent. I had a little bit of a rant about the way that Mikel Arteta has been almost vilified for uh, appealing for a late penalty against a rival, which makes absolutely no sense to me. All managers do it. And it just feels like the way it's reported on when it's an Arsenal boss is very different to the way it's reported on when it's somebody else. And, And there are a few managers that come to mind as examples of people who seem to get away with a lot more than Mikel Arteta does. Is it because he's not won a Premier League yet? Is it because he's not won a Champions League yet? Does he have to earn the right to be allowed to conduct himself the way he does on the touchline i don't know it's all a load of nonsense to me uh, but i had a good rant about it a little bit earlier on Now, just remember if you want to sign up to the chronicles of aguna premium you need to head over to another slice.com uh, the page is on the screen for those of you watching so you can see what it looks like you need to find the chronicles of aguna use the option at the top of the page to create your account login once you've subscribed to the chronicles of aguna uh, you will Uh, Be given the opportunity then to download the app, sign in with your credentials, and you'll have all of the content at your fingertips. You can access it via a desktop uh, website if you prefer that. But obviously the app is, I think, a little bit easier because I'm assuming that most of our audio listeners, most of our podcast listeners uh, probably consume our content on their phones I'd imagine a lot of our YouTube audience do as well. But yeah, there's a new uh, bit of uh, content there. It's called The Reporting Around Mikel Arteta's Conduct is Unfair and Inconsistent. Check that out if you're interested. But that's not what we're here to talk about on this edition of the show. We are here to talk Mikhailo Mudrik. What on earth is going on with Arsenal's pursuit of Mikhailo Mudrik? Well, as far as we understand, Arsenal went in with an initial offer. That initial offer was said to be worth, in total, around about £55 million. That was knocked back by Shakhtar Donetsk, and it was understood that Arsenal went back in a few days later with a second offer. Now, the total amount of the offer wasn't clear. There was no report that gave us that level of information. What we were told was that it was still below the €70 million mark um, in total, and that the uh, demand and requirement from Shakhtar Donetsk is more to do with what they want up front as opposed to the overall fee. I think, obviously, look, they're going to want to get as much as they possibly can. But I think it's about what Arsenal were offering and willing to pay up front. And it was said that uh, Shakhtar were looking for around about 52 million euros up front, I guess, so that they can go out and try and replace him, so they can try and build their squad. And obviously, given the issues that they've had and the issues that the country has had and the problems that they're currently facing, you can understand why they're wanting to milk this. But there comes a point where they're taking the absolute piss, and and that's the honest truth of it. You know, you can sit there and you can justify as much as you want um, about why Arsenal should go out and push the boat out and sign Mikhailo Mujic for... Something like the 88 million pounds that Shakhtar are said to be uh, demanding or at least publicly demanding. This is my honest opinion and these are my honest feelings. And I, I don't want to sit here and, you know, just just pretend, you know, people say that I always uh, I always back the club. I always support the club. I always tow the kind of company line. Well, if they are thinking about going up to that sort of money for Mikhailo Mudrik, then I'm sorry, but I can't agree with that. I just can't. You know, you're talking about a player who, you know, has made, what, less than 40, I think, um, appearances at the highest level for Shakhtar. Donetsk. And I say highest level, I'm talking about first team level in Ukraine, which isn't the highest level. We all know that. But it's around about, what is it, 40, 45? It's definitely not more than 50. Um, you know, he's he's had a few good performances in the Champions League, and that has obviously Uh, led to them believing and feeling that they can really try and squeeze as much as possible out of any potential suitor. Um, Arsenal need a forward and and Shakhtar will know that. And again, that plays into the price. You know, how desperate are you? How much do you need him? Uh, If you do really need him, then we know that you really need him. And we know that we can whack a little bit on top to try and, uh, and make our bit that little bit more hefty as well. But at the end of the day, this is crazy bloody money. This is crazy money. I'm sorry. For a player of his age, um, you know, it's a lot of money. And for a player with his limited experience, it's a lot of money. And he's relatively unproven when you think about where he plays his football and the fact that he hasn't even been doing it there for all that long. So I have got reservations about this. I've said it all along. I like Mikhailo Mudrik as a player. And if he joined Arsenal, I'd get behind him and I'd support him and I'd welcome him with open arms. But if Arsenal are going to have to really push the boat out to make this happen and they're going to essentially be ripped off, then I'm not so sure about it anymore. And the longer this goes on, the more difficult it becomes, the more other clubs uh, begin to get wind of the situation. Clubs who have the potential to outbid us, i.e. the likes of Chelsea, the more those clubs Seem to poke their noses in, the more there is talk around those clubs as well, the more it puts me off of this. Okay. Mikhailo Mudric is like any other good player. There will be a number of clubs demanding um or, or wanting him, you know, desiring him. The thing is, Mudric has, I think, made it very, very clear that Arsenal is the club he wants. I think he liked to post on Instagram, didn't he, where it said free Mudric or something like that, uh, which was from an Arsenal account. So, you know, there's there's lots of signs that he wants the move, but Shakhtar are the ones making this impossible right now. I think the offer, the first offer that Arsenal made was more than reasonable for a player of little experience and, and with a very small sample size in terms of his proven track record. Okay, that's that's my opinion on this. The question is here is that do Arsenal believe that this guy's potential is worth what they could potentially part with in order to bring him in? And, you know, they will know the answer to that question much better than me. You know, I, I I have told you guys on countless occasions that I've watched bits and pieces of Mikhailo Mudrik, but if I said I watched the Ukrainian top flight every week, I'd be a liar. So I'm not going to sit here and do that. But I just, yeah, there's something about this that makes me feel uneasy. And, you know, there's something about this that doesn't quite fit in with the model that Arsenal have applied uh, over the last few years that's got them back to being one of the Premier League's strongest teams, you know, you think about, you think about sort of some of the signings we've made. Okay, look, Ben White, people looked at that one and went, oh my God, 50 million pounds is a lot of money. So I'm not completely naive to the fact that the club will do deals that we as fans look at and go, I'm not entirely sure about that. But there's a difference between 50 million and then going up to 88 odd million, which is what is being talked about. You look at somebody like Gabriel Jesus. Okay, he wasn't quite in favour at Manchester City at the time we signed him, but what was it, 45, 50 million pounds for a proven Premier League striker who's done it in the league he's about to um, be expected to compete in and is ready, you know, was ready to come into the team and impact the team straight away. Make no mistake about it. If Arsenal bring in Mikhailo Mudrik, he is not single-handedly carrying Arsenal to the Premier League crown. He'll be a good addition but very much one with a view for the long term. And that's what people seem to forget. You know, people are sitting there talking about how desperate we are for attacking reinforcements. And we absolutely are. And I'd argue that Mikhailo Mudrik is probably better than Reese Nelson or, you know, some of the other players that we've got waiting in the wings. Could I put my hand on my heart and say that right now he's as good as Martinelli or Saka? No, he's not. Um, Can I put my hand on my heart and say that he could be as influential as Martin Odegaard? No. And that's why I'm a little bit uneasy about this. And I'm a little bit uneasy about the idea of Arsenal bowing down to Shakhtar the next demands and really sort of, I guess, overpaying for a player that just isn't ready to, you know, or or may not be ready. Let's be fair. You've got to give the guy a chance. I can't write him off, but he may not be ready to come in and have the impact right away. The impact that we are looking for right now. I got a lot of stick when I said the same things about Emi Buendia, Um, you know, in the summer that we signed Martin Odegaard. People were going to me, no, if you have to overpay, that's what you do. You know, I was reluctant about that. And that was a guy that was going for what, 35, 40 million pounds, maybe a little bit more. Now we're talking about a player in the 88 million pound region who, you know, arguably plays in a league, what, as good as the Championship. If that, you know, it's really hard. It's really, really hard to kind of look at a player playing somewhere else and, and, and quantify or, or I guess calculate how good they will be when they make that change and when they make that transition over to the Premier League. So therefore there's always a risk. But there's risks that cost you 25, 30 million pounds. There's risks that cost you 50 million pounds. But there's risks that cost you 88 million pounds that a club like Arsenal simply cannot afford to take. We're not Chelsea, who, by the way, I I have no idea how they seem to sort of navigate the financial fair play thing. But, you know, Chelsea seem to be really willing to throw mega money at people. And look how that's worked out. Their attack is as blunt as anything. So it's not just about money. It's about finding people that are a good fit. In an ideal world, you want to find people that are great fits for the right price. Um, that is not always the case, I know. And sometimes you have to overpay. And I'm okay with overpaying for Mikhailo Mudik. In my estimations, he is worth 30 to 40 million pounds right now. That's my opinion. You know, he he was almost a Premier League player last summer for 25 million pounds what's he done in between that has led to his value increasing by four times if not more than that i don't get it i, ju- I ju- just don't get it um look uh, as i say i'm happy to overpay and and what i mean by overpay for a player that i believe to be worth about 40 million is 60 million tops absolute tops the minute you start going into the 70s and the 80s you've gone batshit crazy and again if the club do it if the club really do feel that that's the right thing and they do move hell and earth and heaven and earth i should say hell and earth hell heaven and earth then uh, let's include all three <laughs> then um then fine you know i won't be sitting here moaning about it for the remainder of the season i'll i'll sit back and i'll i'll look at it and and try and um, make my judgments based on when he arrives at the club but my gut feel right now is that we wouldn't just be overpaying for Mikhailo Mujic. we'd be basically being ripped off. And and that, it doesn't sit right with me. I don't care if it's my money or not. You know, a lot of people say that to me. Oh, well, it's, it's not your money. Why do you care so much about what happens with it? If it then prevents us from going out and doing something that we really need and something else and something in addition to bringing in a wide forward, then it is a problem. And it's a problem for me because I'm a fan and I want the team to be as strong and as well-rounded as possible. The Chelsea interest is something that we're constantly hearing about right now. How strong is that interest? Probably not as strong as some would have you believe. It feels very much like every time a player is on the market, every time someone identifies a talent, Chelsea's name gets thrown into it. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is something being done by the representatives of Mikhailo Mudrik or any intermediaries linked with Shakhtar Donetsk in order to try and kind of encourage Arsenal to kind of hurry it all along. Um you know, and and to just cough up and, and almost meet those demands uh, quicker and sooner rather than later. So I don't know how concrete the Chelsea interest is. And by all accounts, it seems that Mikhail Mudric is more than willing to join Arsenal Football Club and that even in um, sort of a world where Chelsea are interested, his preference is North London. And why wouldn't it be? We're a club on the up. They're a club going through a really big transitional phase at the moment. New ownership, a manager that I think there are still serious question marks about. Um, and as to whether he can sort of turn that ship around and get them back where they belong or have belonged over the last couple of decades. It's hard. Look, Arsenal, as I say, let me just kind of summarise because I feel like I'm just basically what I do on these shows is press live and basically just spit out my thoughts. And um, I know that I can jump around a little bit and I know that it can be a little bit uh, confusing at times. But let me just summarise then my feelings on the Mikhailo Modric thing. As a player... I really like him as a player. I think he's a good fit as a player. He'd be a very, very welcome addition to Arsenal football club in my view and in my eyes. But there has to be a point where the club in order to sustain, you know, the the model that we're working with at the moment. And I've said to you guys before, you know, that it's not sustainable forever for Arsenal to keep spending money the way they have and not sell for good money, which obviously hasn't happened in recent seasons. But in order to try and, sustain this approach for as long as possible long enough hopefully for us to build a really strong squad and so that the level of spend um can sort of be reduced over the coming years and almost help us get back to profitability or or back to sort of baseline which is obviously what kse want as business people we're going to have to spend smartly and we're going to have to be shrewd in the transfer market and i've sat there and i've racked my brains Um, you know, for for days now trying to figure out how much in my head Mikhailo Mudrik is worth. And I'm not saying that what I say goes and what I say is the gospel. But even when you look at some of these sort of websites, uh, the likes of TransferMarkt, you know, sofascore.com, where they have their own formulas to uh, sort of calculate rough valuations of players. They're nowhere near what Shakhtar are talking about. I mean, I'm looking right now at SofaScore. They've got him valued at 42 million euros, which is what, 36, 37 million pounds. Uh, Transfer mark, they've got him at 40 million euros, which is about 34, 35 million pounds. So where does the 80 million come from? Where does that come into play? How have we made that jump? How have we doubled this guy's valuation? Does the fact that it's in January maybe play a part? Possibly because it's mid-season and that's not ideal for clubs. Nobody wants to lose players mid-season. I get that. But I just think when I look at him and I look at what I believe to be his value, which I think is, is I'm sort of similarly in line with what these two cite are saying, 40, 45 million pounds. If you tell me that we've got to pay 60 to get it done in January, and that's going to be the difference between Arsenal having the depth that they need to continue competing and not then I'm all for it. Okay, if you told me 65 million, I'd probably still wince a little bit, but think, yeah, you know what? Okay, it's not the end of the world. But to double the valuation, to go crazy and spend in excess of 80 million pounds on this player who represents a much bigger risk than many Arsenal fans would care to admit, I think is very, very dangerous has the potential to be a masterstroke. If he comes in and he performs and next season he's flying high and he's scoring goals left, right and center and he's impacting games and influencing games for the Arsenal, nobody will ever talk about it. And that would be fine. That would be a job well done, but there is a risk that this is Nicholas Pepe mark II. Now, That's not to say that because we overpaid for Nicolas Pepe, we should never spend big bucks on players again. Unfortunately, that's the way football's gone. That's the way the market's gone. You're going to have to do it at some point. But at the same time, I think a club like Arsenal need to be smarter and a club like Arsenal need to be taking some risks. But how many of those very big risks can you take? You know, if you sign someone for £40 um, you know, or, or if you sign someone who you believe is worth forty million, but you pay fifty million, what's that? Twenty percent risk? Because you're taking sort of ten million additional. Is my maths any good there? Correct me if I'm wrong. If it's yeah, it's, it's about a twenty percent risk, right, in terms of your investment versus what you're paying, in terms of what your investment's worth uh, compared to what you're paying, it's about a twenty percent risk. If you're doubling his value. You're essentially risking what hundred percent of your investment because you're paying double what this guy's actually worth. So if he fails, it's nuts. Um, Graham says twenty five. Uh, yeah, probably my ma- I, I always say my maths is terrible. Um, not a mathematician. Can't believe I was a banker for all those years. But anyway, I digress. What I'm trying to say is, I think you've got to be much more. Uh, risk averse when it comes to players that represent risk anyway. Okay, Gabriel Jesus, 50 million pounds. There was no risk in that. There was zero risk in that. Everybody knew what he was capable of. Everybody knew what he could do. He'd done it in this league. He's not at the point in his career where you're paying for potential. You're paying for what he might be. You knew what you were getting and you were paying for him at the time. And, you know, players like Ben White, who you bring in, when they're sort of in their early 20s again there's less risk there because you know what they are today and you obviously are paying to a degree for what they will become and you're hoping that they will become better but you've seen enough you know that's that's the point i'm trying to make here nobody's seen anywhere near enough of Mikhailo Mudrik to justify him being worth in excess of 80 million pounds and i don't care how many of you have been on youtube and watched compilations i don't care how many people have watched you watched him on Y scout I don't care how many people have scoured through the statistics with a fine tooth comb. Nobody's convincing me that Mikhailo Mudrik is worth 80 million pounds today. Will that investment be repaid over a number of years if he does come and he does come good? Probably. But it's a big risk. It is a big, big risk. At the same time, if Arsenal feel that it's worthwhile, then I think they've earned our trust over the last few seasons. And so nobody should be kicking up a massive fuss about it. But I don't think it's fair to just ignore it and to be blindly led down a path that you don't believe in. And I don't believe that Arsenal should pay £80 million for this guy. That's my opinion. That's my view. I know a lot of people don't like it. Um, I know a lot of people disagree. I sort of gauge that based on some of the responses to some recent tweets of mine. Fine. You know, that's my view. That's what I'm here to do. That's what we do on this channel. We share views. We exchange views. And, and um, you know, I'm always open to other people's views, but it doesn't mean I'm going to change mine. And and on this, I'm pretty firm about it at the moment. OK, let's uh, let's go over to the comment section. Let's see what you guys are saying uh, about this particular subject. Um, I'm really uh, I'm really interested in, in what you guys are saying. Uh, Chloe Lewis says uh, Grealish and Anthony are the reasons he has an £80 million plus valuation. You're not wrong there because Shakhtar have actually made that point, haven't they? They've actually made that comment publicly that if Grealish is worth £100 then of course, um, you know, Mikhailo Mudrik is too. But I would argue that that is nonsense because Jack Grealish had proven himself as a, a really good footballer essentially in the Premier League at a club like Aston Villa. So, again, there was previous there to go by. There was evidence that he could do it in this league. There was evidence that, you know, his development had already got to a certain point. Yes, Manchester City would have signed him with a view of making him better and, and furthering and enabling his growth. But you already was getting a certain standard of player. Nobody's going to tell me that Mikhailo Mudrik at Shakhtar Donetsk is today at the level that Jack Grealish, who was single-handedly carrying a club like Aston Villa was at the point that he moved to Man City. So I don't think those calculations are are fair. Anthony, I mean, Manchester United really overpaid for him. And on the 90 Min show, we've had loads of chats about Anthony and whether he was worth that. And the answer is that maybe he'll get there, but he's not worth that today. So Manchester United have taken a massive risk and a massive gamble and are hoping that that pays off. But the same Arsenal fans that are sitting there going, just pay the money, just go out and get him, will be the same Arsenal fans that will highlight, uh, Mikhailo, uh, I beg your pardon, that will highlight Anthony and say, what a waste of money that was. But you're encouraging your club to do something similar. You're encouraging your club to do the same thing, to go out and overpay for a player with an even lesser of a track record than what Anthony had when Manchester United brought him in, uh, from, um, from Ajax. Uh Peanut Butter Jelly Time says, Harry, I think the upfront upfront fee spread throughout the years is probably why Arsenal are being careful so as not to trigger FFP. It's the same with Chelsea, hence why the Enzo Fernandez deal hasn't gone through yet. I'm sure there is um, a reason for Arsenal not wanting to pay the fee up front. Um, I'm sure there is a reason for them wanting to structure those payments, and I'm sure that maybe, you know, Arsenal are looking at it and going, well, we are on course to get back in the Champions League. And so if we can defer some of the payments and then we get that Champions League revenue, it makes it much more achievable for us. So they're gambling on what the team's going to achieve as well. I get all of that and um, and I understand it. And I understand the FFP implications, even if I do think FFP is an absolute shambles. Um, but yeah, let's let's see where this goes. But yeah, for me, this. Whether we pay it all up, whether we give him a pound now and, uh, you know, and the rest later, it doesn't really make a difference to my opinion on how overpriced Mikhailo Mudrik seems to be and how Arsenal would be crazily overpaying for him. Um, You know, it's not really about the structure for me. It's about the total value of the deal. And and it's about tying yourself into a deal that you're then going to have to honour regardless of how the player performs and yet sometimes you've got to take those gambles and those risks as we've said but i think this is a big one and i think to pay probably double what he's actually worth would be a, a really bold move some might call it a brave move i would call it a risky one at this stage uh, let's see um Guna Legend makes a good point. He says it's also dangerous to not compete by signing these types of players, lacking ambition and then losing the likes of Saliba and Martinelli for zero pounds. So what you're suggesting is that if Arsenal were to kind of walk away from this and and fail to break the bank and fail to kind of follow through with with the signing of a player that they've clearly been watching for a little while, it would send the wrong message to those within the team at the moment and to the outside world. I get that. But the the flip of that and the reverse of that is that if Arsenal are bullied essentially into paying 80 odd million pounds for a player that's not even worth half of that at this time in his career, you're also setting a bad precedent. We've talked so many times over the last two, three seasons about Arsenal being a club that start negotiations in the transfer market from a really weak position, about Arsenal being the type of club that have shown themselves to be a pushover, uh, uh, to be pushovers, I beg your pardon, in the transfer market when buying and selling. And that just, you know, the next time we then dip into the market to bring someone in who's even remotely talented and who has the potential to potentially improve further, we're going to face the same problem. We're going to come up against the club that are just going to go absolutely nuts in in what they're demanding and that's going to make it difficult for us. So, this has a knock-on effect whatever way you do it, right? And it's it's about deciding what you want, what you believe, and then taking the best decision on that basis. Um, Let's see what else we've got. Uh, AG Zeno says, if you want to own a big football club, then spend cash like it's a big football club. It's pretty simple, man. I get that, but at the same time, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm defending KSE, But at the same time, they've spent a lot of money in recent seasons when the club has been hemorrhaging money, when the club has not been making any money. And these are the same owners that for years we've said have been disinterested and have not been committed. So what, have they done a complete 360? Are they going to constantly now for the remainder of their ownership and the stewardship of the club, going to keep throwing stupid money at every single transfer window without ever getting a return on the investment? The line is going to be drawn somewhere. We haven't reached that point yet, clearly, but it is coming. You know, don't be naive enough to think that this line and this point whereby KSE go, hold on a minute, we've built you the team that you wanted now. Now you've got to go make a a return on our investment. And when people come circling for your players, which inevitably happens when you're successful, you know, don't be surprised if KSE start applying pressure from the top in terms of uh, trying to get the club or, or trying to get the, the people running the club to agree to selling some of these players as well. There will come a point where they want to return on their investment. They're not just going to keep spending, spending, spending. They're not that type of ownership. Their history with the club so far tells us that. Um, what else have we got? Let's take a few more. Uh, Chris Carrick says, uh, go out and get uh, Zaha for 40 million max. He's Premier League proven. Loves Arsenal, can drop right in no sell on value given his age, but that risk Is the same as Mudrik in the end. Yeah, I I agree with your theory there. I just think the Zaha thing has sailed. The ship for Zaha is for sure. Um, What else have we got? Uh, Granddaddy Guna says that Mudrik needs to tell Shakhtar, I want Arsenal and I'm not going elsewhere. Stop holding me back and let me go. That's the point we're at now. That's the point we're at now. What we need is... Mikhailo Mudrik to be really digging his heels in now. We need to have gone with what we believe is going to be at least something building towards our absolute maximum, the offer that uh, we're happy to kind of put on the table. And then we need to be in the ears of Mikhailo Mudrik. We need to be telling him, you know, you need to apply the pressure on your club. So many players have done it and forced moves through. I said to you guys that this wasn't going to be done in the first week of the window. And people said, why not? It should be easy. It should be simple. No, this is going to drag on. And the longer the window goes on and the more Mikhailo Mudrik kicks up a fuss behind the scenes, the more chance we've got of getting this done for, I'm not even going to say a reasonable price, but a more acceptable price. So let's see. Uh, Wisdom. uh, Malachi says... uh, Emil Smith-Rowe is coming back. I would walk away from Mudrik and get Felix. He will define our season better. Uh, thank you so much for your kind donation, mate. I, I really do appreciate it. We're going to talk Zhao Felix in a minute because there is a little bit of an update uh, on him. Lots of brilliant comments coming through in the chat. I'm not going to read through all of them. Otherwise, we'll be uh, we'll be stuck. Um, and we need to move on. Uh, I will do questions at the end. So bear with me. Let me just give you guys a couple more uh, updates. Uh, Joao Felix then, uh, what's going on with him? Well, he was left out of Atletico Madrid's squad uh, for their game yesterday. Apparently that's because he knows that he wants to move on. They know that they want to move him on and they don't want to take any risks uh, around him potentially picking up an injury. So Joao Felix is very much likely to be on the move. Our Arsenal front runners? we know that Manchester United are interested. We know that Arsenal don't feel that Atletico Madrid's demands around the uh, loan proposal are fair. And uh, and so, yeah, that's at a bit of a stalemate as well. I think Manchester United would probably go that extra mile, that little bit further than us, because they don't, you know, they they probably feel that they need a striker now. They probably feel that they need a forward following Ronaldo's departure. But again, I, I don't think they really need to panic either. So again, that's probably one that will drag out towards the back end of the window and we'll see where it goes. The other bit I just wanted to touch on there's a story from um a Spanish outlet claiming that Arsenal have um have tested the waters have made a an inquiry with regards to the availability of of Declan Rice. That's not happening and it's definitely not happening in January. Uh, the outlet is not one with the greatest of reputation so I wouldn't read into that too much but I just wanted to address it because I had a few tweets this morning asking me that question and for me it's a non, non-starter non in terms of a story at the moment. Okay, let's take some of your thoughts. Let's take some of your questions from the live chat box. Start filling up the chat with questions, and I will take as many of those as I possibly can in what remains of the show. Uh, just a quick reminder as well, if you haven't done so already, uh, why haven't you hit the like button? There is uh, about 500 of you with me live right now uh, on YouTube alone. We've only got 68 likes on the board. What on earth is going on? I'm not going to say another word until we get to 100 likes. I mean, we should have 200 likes. We should have 250 likes. Please do hit the like button. It really does help. It doesn't cost a thing. It's absolutely free. Uh, So yeah, get involved. It really does help me. And please subscribe to the channel as well as we continue to push towards our next milestone. One more quick reminder about our membership proposition over on the another slice platform the latest bit of content dropped this morning and it's titled the reporting around Mikel arteta's conduct is unfair and inconsistent now as i mentioned uh to existing members on that show right at the end this morning there is an email coming around to you guys in the next 48 hours or so uh with regards to something that we discussed so uh keep your eyes peeled on your registered email addresses because that's where it will go uh so yeah do check it out but if you want to sign up if you're interested uh, in seeing what it's all about if you're enjoying the content and you simply want more um, then that's the way to do it join us on the another Slice platform and you'll get a couple of extra bits of content at minimum per week as well as early access to some of the stuff that we're going to be doing uh, with some special guests over the next few months and in what remains of the season okay let's get some of those questions in and do to do uh, peanut butter jelly time says, "Do you feel that Joao Felix is less of a risk than Madrid?" Well, aside from the obvious financial reasons, right? Because obviously it is it is an expensive thing. Um, I had it on my notes the other day. Hold on, let me just check if I've still got this in front of me. Yeah. So, in terms of Joao Felix, it was a fifteen million euro fee that Atletico Madrid were demanding, plus six million euros in wages. So, twenty-one million euros. Uh, for six months. Obviously, that's a lot less money than what we're looking to pay for Mikhailo Mudrik. And obviously, that's the type of money that you feel like is justified if it's literally just to try and give you that extra boost in what remains of the season, in the hope that you can potentially go on and win the Premier League title, achieve what you're looking for. I mean, if you qualify for the Champions League, you've made that money back already. Um, you know before you've even played a group game you've made double, maybe triple that money before you've even kicked a ball. Um, so yeah obviously financially it's much less of a risk but aside from that put the money to one side for a minute put the finances to one side. I think he's a much more proven player. I do and I think because he's a much more proven player, I think the chance of him coming in and within days being able to be put on the pitch and impacting a game of football for us are higher. And so, yeah, I think he is less of a risk as a player. And there's the obvious uh, the fact that it's less of a risk financially as well. Um, it's not one for the long term. And maybe the club don't want to do that kind of short term deal. And I get that. And, and maybe they'd only consider that type of deal if the price was right. And I understand that. But that's just just my view. Alex says, would you rather spend money on Jonathan David or recall following Baligan? Obviously, the less we spend, the more we have for other positions honestly I don't rate Jonathan David I, I just don't um our good friend uh loyal listener uh Moss always uh pushes back on me about Jonathan David um he is Canadian so he's a little bit biased uh, I've got to say that but I just don't rate him I just don't see it um you know is he someone that I would break the bank for no not, no way if the price was right maybe I'd consider it but following Balogun is playing in the same league uh, and he's performing incredibly well. So why wouldn't you give him a chance? You know, we've 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 sent players out on loan in recent seasons. William Saliba, obviously the big example, and he's done really well and come back a much better player. And hopefully that happens with following Balogun as well, who the club have had high hopes for for years. So, yeah, I'd bring Balogun back and see how he gets on. Um, I really would. This is, might be unpopular, but I think his ceiling... In terms of what he can be, is probably higher than that of Eddie Nketiah, at least as a goal scorer. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Amira says this Mudrik saga could be a Rafinha and Odegaard situation, where he only wants us, and we wait till Shakhtar cave towards the end of the window. But can we afford to wait that long? That's the big question, isn't it? Um, depends how desperate you are, you think we are to sign. Uh, depends how desperate you think our, our current situation is. I think what's happened is. Because we drew against Newcastle the other night, because it was a goalless draw, I think what that's done is kind of play into people's anxieties around Arsenal needing extra attackers. And yeah, we know we do. We know we want more players. You know, maybe Emil Smith Rowe is going to be available at Oxford and begin his sort of recovery and, and sort of charge back towards the first team setup. But Yeah, I I guess what I'm trying to say is I think people feel a lot worse about our attack because we drew 0-0 with Newcastle, which isn't a disgrace by any stretch of the imagination. It's the first game this season we didn't score a goal in in the Premier League. I mean, people need to chill a bit. But I do think that's played into this panic that has seemed to set in among a lot of Arsenal fans now around the need to go out and get not just a forward in January, but to bring a forward in like tomorrow. I I really do think that's played a, a big part in this. Okay, uh, let's take a few more. Uh, is that Ukrainian um, in the chat? Uh, I, I can't read it, mate. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, uh, <laughs> Matt. In response to my Jonathan David comment, says, "Oh boy, Moss is not going to be happy." You're right; he's not. He's definitely going to. Um, he's definitely going to have a go at me. Uh, Taylorwood Studio says, "I don't feel like Felix's heart would be in it enough over just a six-month period." without knowing if his long-term future would be at the club, what do you think? I think a lot of that depends on his professionalism. You know, I, I wondered that about Martin Odegaard when we brought him in. It was clear that the club always had an intention of, of bringing him in in the long term, and that was reinforced, um, you know, by the fact that he came in and was a relative success. Maybe the same would be the case with Joao Felix if he was successful. Maybe Arsenal would, would be telling him that, you know, this is about the longer term, really. We can only get you in on the short term at the moment because of the finances and all the other things involved. And and much like Martin Odegaard did, where he pushed for the Arsenal move, that led to Real Madrid having to kind of concede a little bit in terms of what they were demanding and wanting for the player. And maybe we could make that work again for Martin Odegaard. I think with Odegaard, we we found a player who had undeniable talent, but hadn't managed to fulfil that just yet because of Perhaps the circumstances around him and the environment that he was in. And that's the same can be said for João Felix. His talent is undeniable. The environment in which he currently plays does not allow him to showcase that, I think, in a lot of ways. And, you know, if if, if there was a similar kind of redemption story there, then it would work out pretty well for us, wouldn't it? OK, let's take a few more. Um, let's take a few more. What have we got? Uh, this is an interesting question, not transfer related, but it's a good question. I really like it. Uh, Musa says, Harry, do you think that Zinchenko is being played in the correct position? Because when he moves forward, he leaves that gap on the left. Would he be better in midfield? I think the way that Arsenal want to play, the way that Arsenal want to control games of football and the way that Arsenal uh, look to kind of impose themselves on others. I think actually having a Zinchenko whose starting position is at left back, whose defensive position is is at left back, but then can step into midfield and increase our chances of being dominant, uh, help us create overloads, I think is really key. I think it's a big part of why we've been successful this season. I think our best performances have come with Zinchenko in the side. I mean, there was a compilation going around on social media over the past few days. I'm sure many of you would have seen it, Where Zinchenko's just sort of playing these passes in between the lines, breaking lines, getting us forward. I think that to have that kind of intelligence in a deep position is really important because it really does help you get moves off the ground and it really does help you build. So I actually think that the position he's playing in is fine. It's right. It's correct. I think he can play midfield. And obviously, if something was to happen to maybe Granit Xhaka, my first uh, sort of port of call would be probably to put Tierney in at left back and put Zinchenko in there because I trust Kieran Tierney, especially defensively as well. But would he be better in midfield? I'm not sure because then you're marked, then you're accounted for as a midfielder. Whereas now I think opponents, you know, are are struggling to live with him because your winger doesn't want to drift in field with him to mark him and pick him up. Your winger doesn't want to find himself in the middle of the park, sitting alongside Thomas Partey. They're trying to bring your team with. Yet if you're supposed to be marking Alexander Zinchenko, you've got no choice but to do that. Does it leave us a little bit weak defensively in that area? I've said it before. I think it does. And I think it then puts a greater reliance on Gabriel to kind of shift over and try and fill those gaps and fill those holes. And in turn, that means Saliba moves over a bit. And in turn, that means Ben White has to tuck in a little bit more as well. So, yeah, I think there are certainly question marks around it. It's not perfect, but I think the benefits that we get from it at the moment from him playing there outweigh the negatives. And I think that's probably how Mikel Arteta sees it. right, guys, thank you so, so much. I think I am going to to leave it there. Um, We've got well over 500 of you with us right now, but we've still only got 136 likes on the board. What is going on? Leave a like on the video. Let's get it up to a couple of hundred by the time we wrap this up. Uh, Please make sure that you are subscribed to the channel if you're new. I looked at the stats the other day. 46% of the people watching our videos are not subscribed to the channel. Why the hell not? what are you playing at get subscribed um we'd love to have you on board and of course you can check out the premium offering via the information and the link in the description we'll be back very very soon with more uh, hopefully we'll have some positive transfer updates to share with you uh, in the not too distant future but the window is well and truly open transfer silly season is upon us and you can bet that it's going to get a lot more frantic and a lot more nerve-wracking as the window goes on like subscribe leave a review if you're listening in podcast format as well I thank you all once again for your support of the show of the podcast you support of me I really really appreciate it and I'll see you all soon until next time au revoir I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon